you just got to tough it. You just get through it and know that it's like anything that's painful. You just got to know that it's temporary and it's, it's going to end and it will make you tougher when you get out and don't pay it forward. Be, be nice to, you know, going forward. Don't do what those people have done to you. Um, just, but it's always like looking towards the future and knowing that it's temporary. Welcome to the Madeline and Becca podcast. The mission of our podcast is simple, to inspire professional self-confidence in women everywhere. I'm Madeline. And I'm Becca. On our podcast, you will hear stories from real-world influencers, women who have experienced tremendous success in their careers by building self-confidence. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, Madeline will be interviewing Mary Tally Bowden. Mary is an ear, nose, and throat doctor in Houston, Texas, and is board certified in both otolaryngology and sleep medicine. Mary recently opened her own practice, BreatheMD, which offers a unique treatment approach to sinusitis other than antibiotics, such as sinus therapy, allergy immunotherapy, and infrared sauna. Mary also counsels patients on the impact of poor sleep quality on their health and treats both the medical and surgical aspects of sleep apnea. Mary grew up in Georgia and attended UNC and the Medical College of Georgia. She completed residency in Galveston, Texas, and began her career in private practice before taking time off to raise her four boys. Mary will discuss overcoming challenges of residency, why taking time off was the right decision, her unique treatment approach for sinus care, and how she re-entered the workplace to start her own medical practice. Here's Madeline. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your early career? Were you in private practice or within a hospital system? Uh, I just went to a private practice. Initially, when I was in residency, I thought I wanted to do academics. But residency kind of felt like a prison sentence. (laughs) And some of the personalities... I just, I mean, they're different residency programs. Some are not kind and great people. Mine did not feel that way. I felt like, and the women were, there were, the women were actually the worst. Like the female um, positions were just not great mentors. And so I did not want to do academics after my residency experience and decided to go into private practice and joined a small group with two men. How did you deal with self-advocacy during residency with that? You know, it sounds like what was a pretty challenging environment. Uh, it was tough. I mean, I, it was really, really tough. Like I look back on that and it's a little bit PTSD. Um, and, uh, you know, you just, you form your allies. And luckily I had a couple of people that I really, you know, residents, co-residents and, that I really helped me through and um, it was, it was tough. (laughs) I don't don't quite understand why uh, many of the female physicians and academics are so 
tough on other women. But that's that's a sense I got is it just not very female to female friendly. And for other women who are perhaps experiencing those types of challenges in their early career, do you have any advice that you would impart on them about surviving that that period and and how to navigate those tricky situations? Yeah, you just got to tough it. You just get through it and know that it's like anything that's painful. You just got to know that it's temporary and it's it's going to end and it will make you tougher when you get out and don't pay it forward. Be be nice to, you know, going forward. Don't do what those people have done to you. Um, just, But it's always like looking towards the future and knowing that it's temporary. Do you think that some of the women um... – who you, who you were discussing, why do you think they were so negative? Was it, uh, this is, we've had to be through the system and tough it out the hard way. And we want everyone to experience that. Or was it just a very otherwise male dominated and, you know, try, you know, the few women who were there trying to make it, what, what do you think contributed to that? Do you have any idea? Well, I think it's just part of it is just the nature of their personalities They're hard. You know, the, the women that go into academics tend to be a little more, hard driven, take themselves very seriously, have to fit in with the male dominated culture um, and, you know, not show any vulnerability or, or empathy. I don't know. It's just, it's a different, (laughs) different person. I'm not wired that way. I I think they're, they're wired a certain way. Was um, your early career then uh, you said you went into a practice with um, two other men um, was that a positive experience those years? Uh, very, building years? very, very, very. They were very, they were complete opposite of residency. It was very, it was wonderful. And I, the only reason I stopped was because I had too many children. So, but yeah, it was great. Yeah. I, I want to ask you a little bit about that. Um, so did you take time away from private practice to be at home exclusively and raise your children? Yeah. So I, um, the situation that I had was great because it was pretty flexible. Um, and basically I could set my schedule as long as I was keeping up and, you know, I would, I wouldn't deny people access to my services, but you know, if I had no one scheduled, I could block my schedule and go see the kids, that sort of thing. And so it was very flexible. And then, um, I had two little boys and they were 16 months apart. And then I got pregnant again and I decided to take a year off. And then I got pregnant again and decided there were, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. And I had four boys in five years. So it was, and we have no family in town and my husband uh, traveled like ton, like a ton. So I just couldn't do it anymore. And did you receive any um, professional pushback about taking time to, to focus on raising your children? No, I mean, it was more on myself. Like I just felt like, Oh my God, what am I doing? You know, it's like you've, you put in so much to get this far. And now I'm doing exactly what my mom told me not to do. <laughs> and I wasn't sure if I'd ever go back, you know, cause once you get into that non-working groove, it's sometimes, you know, I wasn't sure if I'd, be able to climb back into the workforce. Um, and did you, while you were home raising your boys, did you do anything to 
continue to keep your connection to your field um, in terms of staying current or other types of things that helped you then to tr- transition back? I tried. I um, So because I'm in sleep medicine, I um, was able to be the director of a sleep lab, which was pretty easy. I could just leave, read sleep studies from home. But and, you know, here and there I would take CME and, you know, online. Um, and, you know, there were a couple of years where I was just, oh, it was just I was knee deep in kids and I couldn't, <laughs> that's all I could do. Um, but um, surprisingly, once I started tinkering with the idea of going back, it was it all came, it was like riding a bike. It all came back so easily. And I even, I took some cadaver courses for, to get, you know, see if I could still operate. And that felt very, it was wonderfully, it was like riding a bike. It felt like it just all came back. The muscle memory was there and did not feel hard trying to catch up at all. Um, do you have any advice for other women who perhaps find themselves at that juncture that you were at where they're, you know, they've worked really hard to have a high achieving career and are thinking about taking time off, um, but concerned about the ability to actually come back after? Uh, I would definitely take the time off. Definitely. I am so glad I did that. Um, now I do think there are some women that are wired. I don't know. I just always felt guilty when I was working. I always, I mean, even when I just had one kid and I think there's some women that aren't wired that way. They can, they can leave their kids and feel fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. I actually wish I'd had more of that. Um, but if you don't, if it's bothering you, then take the time off because oh, it was the best thing I ever did. Now I have this whole new thing that I'm doing and I'm it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't taken the time off. So tell us about that. Can you tell us about your decision to transition back into actually starting your own business? How did that come about and how was so, the timing correct and all of that? I basically, you know, it took, it probably took two and a half years to actually from the first thinking of doing it to actually doing it. So it takes a while. And um, yeah, it took me a lot of money to get it started, but it's I'm after I guess I'm how many months now? Ten months. I'm breaking even, so I'm excited about that. Um, and I love it because I'm doing exactly what I want to do, the way I want to do it. I I'm running it. Um, yeah, I just like doing things the way I want to do it, and it's allowed me to be use my creativity. And I have I have an entrepreneurial side to me, so it's fulfilling that. Um, so is that why you decided to start your own business versus joining an already established practice again? Yes, yes. Because and I'm doing something a little bit different than a typical ENT uh, clinic, um, and so it's allowed me. I've always sort of wondered if I could do it, and so it's allowing me to uh, fulfill that possibility, which I wouldn't be able to do at a traditional doctor's office. So um, tell our listeners about BreatheMD and what your practice is and um, and your vision with the business. So we do traditional ENT. I do all the bread and butter ENT. I'm not anti-medical ENT, but I also provide alternatives. Like um, I'm a 
big believer in saline irrigations for sinus problems. And I don't think, I think surgery, I think too many people are getting surgery. Um, I think there is a role for surgery. Like I said, I'm not anti, but uh, so what the initial premise for the practice was to do something called sinus therapy, which is based off of what patients with cystic fibrosis, how they get treated. So patients with cystic fibrosis can't clear the secretions from their lungs um, because their secretions are too thick. And they do um, a special kind of therapy where they, you know, they get percussion on their lungs, they get inhalation treatments to try to get the mucus out. So it's the same idea, but for the sinuses and not just for patients with cystic fibrosis, but for um, uh, anybody that has sinus issues. And uh, it actually came about because I was in Massachusetts in the dead of winter uh, visiting my in-laws and I got a, I knew I had one sinus that was completely clogged up and I didn't want to deal with trying to get to the pharmacy. And so I sat in my in-laws bathroom and started hitting myself in the face and putting hot towels on my face. And I was able to dislodge the obstruction and I felt immediate relief and I didn't need to be on antibiotics. And so it occurred to me, I was like, well, that's basically what they do for cystic fibrosis patients. And, um, but then we add like a spa component to it so that you're, you know, you're sick, but you're getting pampered, you're getting drained, you get, you get a powered saline irrigation, you get steam, you get uh, aromatherapy, hot compresses, massage. Um, so you kind of get pampered while you're sick and then you leave feeling better. Sounds pretty optimal. <laughs> what about um, the sleep element um, of your practice? Can you tell us a little bit about that? So I'm um, also board certified in sleep medicine, um, and we have not. Well, I'm building out right now a sleep clinic, so for overnight sleep studies. Um, but in conjunction with that, a lot of people with sleep apnea are overweight. So during the day, uh, we'll be focusing on helping patients become healthier and lose weight. Um, and we're also going to have a salt room, which is helpful for respiratory issues. Um, and sauna and things like that. Um, I read on your website that you don't um, contract with insurance company, which insurance companies, which means that you're able to, you know, exercise your own independent medical judgment. Can you tell us about um, the advantages to, to doing this? I, in my prior private private practice litigation work, I dealt a lot with insurance companies, so I know. <laughs> The, the challenges that go with uh, having claims paid, et cetera. Um, can you just speak to that a little bit? Yes. So it's just an easier, more efficient. If I, if I took insurance, I'd have to hire an extra person to work on claims full time. Because I don't have a insurance to deal with, I can keep my prices reasonable. Like a new patient appointment is $185. That includes endoscopic examination, uh, you know, which if it actually is cheaper all around than going through the insurance company. A follow-up visit is $150, which is, I mean, less than most massages. Um, it allows me to, you know, I don't have to cram a bunch of patients in to keep, to make overhead costs. Um, it's just a more efficient way to do it. And we give 
you know, it's really not that hard for patients to file their own claims. It's just a matter of actually doing it. I've been on the other side of that um, with some of the visits that I've had to take my kids to. They don't take insurance. It's not hard to do. You just go actually do it. And um, I just think it allows a more, much more efficient and doctor, a better doctor-patient relationship. I don't have to, you know, get approval from the insurance company before I do some minor thing in the office. Um, so for it's also great for people that have sorry it's also great for people that have really high deductibles mm-hmm. because they basically are paying out of pocket anyway unless something catastrophic happens so so for other women who are perhaps thinking about um, opening their own practice what advice could you give them about preparing and coming up with a business plan I know because opening a business is uh, wearing a different hat than practicing medicine. What advice can you can you give them? Uh, well, so there's this, play, this thing called Small Business Development Center, which is in most cities, I think. I've loved that. I've gone to a bunch of seminars there. I will say I'm better. I'm more of a forest than trees type of person. And that's where I, um, that's, that can be hard if you're trying to do a business. I have a, I think the hardest part of all of it has been finding the right people, like employees. And I'm finally at 10 months, I'm right. I have the perfect little setup, but I did experiment with that a little bit. Um, so I think if you can find the right people to work with you, then that makes all the difference in the world. And then you can teach yourself a lot just online or at this place, like the Small Business Development Center. The seminars are like $30 and they're invaluable. And how has it been balancing now being both a business owner, a doctor, and also you still have four sons? I'm assuming they're a little bit older now, but. Yeah, my youngest one is eight now. Um, I, you know, they used to say, mom, you don't do anything all day. You don't do it. And now like, oh yeah, you're testing people for COVID. Like <laughs> I have a little bit more respect around the house, slightly. Um, they don't seem to, you know, I don't get, I get a little bit, you know, because of COVID and they were home all the time. That's when I felt a little bit like, oh God. But had they been at school, like they were supposed to, then it would have been no big deal. Cause I, I schedule it so that I usually pick them up from school anyway, um, unless something comes up. Um, so it's really not balancing. is not that, hasn't been that hard. So it's been okay. <laughs> it's never perfect. So can you tell us, I know uh, a lot of small businesses have had to make business iterations during this pandemic. Um, what have you done with respect to um, COVID and testing for COVID? Yeah, that was kind of weird because I wasn't, somehow I my clinic morphed into a COVID testing center, which wasn't the plan. I just had patients asking me, you know, can I get tested? And then I figured out um, that LabCorp had it. And so I, I had some swabs already with the viral transport medium. I don't really know why I even had those, but I had them. So I started testing people. And then I was lucky because we, you know, there was a problem with shortage of the viral transport medium. And, uh, but there's another way to test where you can, um, it's called nasopharyngeal lavage and you, 
basically irrigate people's noses and then have them blow into a container. So because my clinic was already set up for that, I was able to test people using that. So I was able to test a bunch of people with just basically sterile cups. So then I was able to keep testing until all the other supplies caught up. And then another lab that I've worked with before um, started testing, and I love their test method, and I've got that all streamlined now. So it, it wasn't on purpose, but it just I essentially I evolved into that, which was fortunate because uh, I was able to actually hire people during all this and keep the business going. I still can pay my rent and um, and also have helped get early access to testing. We started testing people um, March 13th, and we were allowing anybody to get tested, not just people that had symptoms. Wow, that's really, really early on. What is some of the most rewarding aspects of your job now that you're able to be a business owner and be able to practice medicine in this you know, innovative way that you've created within your practice group. What's, what are some of the most rewarding aspects of your job? Well, happy patients. That's, you know, and I had, having had four kids, I've been on the other side of the medical system and I just like, I mean, going to the doctor would just wreck my day. So I like being able to provide a great office visit experience where people are actually feel better and happier when they leave my office. And that's probably the most rewarding just not wrecking people's day when they come to see me. Can you give our listeners um, your best piece of advice that they could apply to their own careers, specifically with respect to developing professional self-confidence? Uh, I think your 20s are, I didn't, I didn't realize this in my 20s, like 20s, you're supposed to work your butt off and it's going to be painful, but it will pay off. So just um just take it just tough it out and know that it's going to get better so just devote your mid to late 20s should be painful you should work your butt off you should not sleep you should you know kill it and then stick with it and the pain's temporary and then follow your dreams that sounds so cliche too but follow follow your dreams If you are interested in visiting BreatheMD, they are located in the River Oak section of Houston, Texas. You can also find out more about the practice at breathemd.org. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, hit subscribe now and leave us a review. Thank you to Nico Vertese for composing our original music. And thank you always to our home team of friends and family for supporting us in our mission. This episode was produced and edited by Madeline and Becca. Thanks for tuning in, and remember, you are somebody.